All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dropping the Gloves. Thank you for joining us today. A nice Wednesday, March 15th, Tim. Gosh, we're we're vastly approaching warm weather here in northern Michigan. It's getting close. We got we're gonna have a nice 40 degree sunny day today. It's gonna, it's we're getting close. We're getting the big melt. The outdoor rink is done. I'm excited to have passed it. We're gonna get into riding bikes territory. It's gonna be nice. You're probably already 85 and North Carolina already swimming at the beach. Well, it's been chilly this week, but it's been spring for like three or four weeks now. All the flowers are out. It's been really nice. Are you nervous for the algae blob that's headed towards the East Coast? You what heard is about this? this? No. It's it's a big, massive seaweed oh. blob in the ocean that's going to hit the East Coast. What are we going to do? It's going to wreck North Carolina. Don't you have a house on the beach? Uh, no, I have two. Oh, okay. I was just wondering if you knew about it because it's headed your direction in that general vicinity, but apparently not. You're locked in on the NHL. I love it. And I want more of it. All right, Tim, on the agenda, the first thing you, you have Instagram post. What does that mean? Was it a post that I did or someone sent us? What does this mean? Someone sent us. I'm going to pull it up here. So we got this from a, a listener, Bray. I think his name is his name on Instagram. It's an account called All Sports Culture. It's got 107,000 followers. And they have a post. And you, you're going to know where I'm going with this, but I'm just going to read it anyway. This this series of posts based on the coldest takes from sports analysts. And it's got all the coldest takes of guys making basically terrible predictions. The first one is Skip Bayless talking about Tebow over Rogers in the final two minutes. In if I'm in this, I'm going to be upset. In 2011. Another oh, one man. from uh, Colin Cowher talking about uh, LeBron uh, being injured, not coming back in 2016. And he was wrong about that. There's This is Chris, going to be the Ovechkin thing, isn't it? Chris Baldwin talking about um, taking pizza boy J.J. Watt over Nick Fairley in 2011 draft. He was wrong about that. And then it goes to someone named uh john scott am i saying that right no yes coldest takes quote they're going to be garbage ovechkin's done i don't think he's going to touch 30 goals and the caption is john scott before ovechkin scored 50 goals and the capitals made the playoffs in 2021 and then they won the cup too Stephen a smith and john weiner skip bayless etc you're in max kellerman you're in that top tier of of top analysts in in, in sports which is nice why don't they, that's that's nice. Wow. <laughs> Why don't they? It was the bold prediction. I know. I know. I just am getting roasted with this for years and people are just not not letting it go. It was the bold prediction, everybody. Jeez Louise. And I still stand by it. He's not catching Wayne Gretzky. He just had a how many empty netters did he have that year? Double <laughs> it doesn't digits. matter. He's going to. He's going to. And this post was three days ago, two days ago. So good. No such thing as bad press. What do you still think he's going to pass Wayne Gretzky? This isn't even on the agenda. You're ambushing me. And I don't like it. (laughs) Totally. ambushing. I wanted to get a live reaction. I was going to send you a link when I saw it, but I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to get John live on the show reacting to this. So it's okay. You're lashing out. It's fine. You're lashing out. It's It's all right. 
it's a bold prediction. I don't know why people don't understand that, but I did double down a bunch during the season. <laughs> I just, I love Ovi. Do you still think after this season, he's going to pass the record? Cause he had to average 40 goals. What was it for like five years, four years to pass his record? Do you see him slowing down just a tick? Do you see holes in that record breaking performance that everybody thinks he's going to get? Cause I, I am, firmly on the side that he won't pass Wayne Gretzky. I don't know how you can still, he's at 816. What is that record? 894. Like he's, he's going to do it in probably two years. So yeah. (sighs) All right. Okay. I think, okay. It's, it's not going to happen. What do you make of dynamo? The team that he played for in the KHL during the lockout saying, we want to sign him. We have a contract waiting for him when he turns 40. So they're fully, on board with him playing out this contract and then jumping ship. Just say, throwing it out there, hypothetical. And Alex Ovechkin has said he wants to finish his career playing for his hometown team in Russia. He thinks that would be really special for him, his family, everybody involved. Hypothetical. You're Alex Ovechkin. Your contract is up. You are 17 goals behind Wayne Gretzky. You're 40 years old. What do you do? Do you re-sign a one-year deal thinking that you're going to pass the record? Because he's 37 right now. He has three years left on his contract. He's going to be 40 when he's done. What do you do, Tim? Do you sign another deal and think you'll get that 18 goals to pass Wayne? Or you just say, you know what? I gave it a good shot. I'm going to go to Russia. No. Ovechkin could score 20 goals a season for as long as he wanted to, basically. So he'll be fine. No, he can't. No, he can't. No, I don't think so. I don't. No, it's not. It's not going to happen. He's got 36 this year. He's having a great year. I just just don't think it's going to happen. I I really don't. On March 15th. And you still don't think like he's going to score 45 this year. Like, John, come on. Come on, he's get got 816 program. goals. He needs to get how many? 80 more? 78. Yeah, something like that. I just That's a lot of goals. That's two two years of solid production. I just don't see it. Yager was, he's got three years left on his contract. Yager was 43 when he scored 27 goals for Florida in 2015-16. And Oveskin's a better goal scorer. It's, he is. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm starting to think it's going to happen, too, now that I'm just like, <laughs> Yes. He's he's playing pretty great. It was always going to happen. Anyways, that's a nice No, it wasn't. He's playing he's he's having a gr- How often do you think he gets drug tested? Never. Never. He has what? to get drug tested a lot. No. It's surprising his stats. I'll just say that. It's, it's very surprising. You're the only one who's surprised, John. You know what else is surprising? Mr. Alex Tuck, his stats. Now, this trade the Buffalo Sabres made, transitioning beautifully, by the way, the Jack Eichel trade went down, what, a year and a half ago now, Tim? Two years? Something like that, Approaching two years. At the time, the Vegas Golden Knights thought they were getting the best player. They thought they were getting their franchise centerman to build their team around. And at the time, yeah, Jack Eichel was that guy. You know, he was coming off that back injury. He hadn't had the surgery yet. It was an unknown commodity, but if he were to, you know, get back to his, the way he was, he was, he was that guy. Did the Sabres have any idea what they were getting in Alex Tuck? He was maybe underutilized with Las Vegas Golden Knights while he was there. He was buried in the depth chart. He had flashes of greatness in their playoff runs. All of a sudden, this guy goes to Buffalo, gets first line minutes, gets power play time, and he is lighting it up, Tim. It's unbelievable. Just case in point, their first two seasons, Alex Tuck has 102 points in 108 games. That's almost a point per game. Just shy. Just just shy. Jack Eichel, 75 points in 88 games. Yeah, almost a point per game. Just shy. Alex Tuck has a better point per game average than Jack Eichel. Did you ever see a world when Jack Eichel would get traded for Alex Tuck and the best player in the trade is Alex Tuck. And we're not even including Peyton Krebs 
or the first round draft pick that's now playing in the Swedish elite league at 19 years of age, who could potentially become a, a very, very good goal scorer. We're not taking any of those players into account just for a one-to-one trade right now. Tuck versus Eichel. The Sabres are killing it. Not to mention the salary cap consequences. What do you, did you see this ever happening Tim? No, nobody did, if they're being honest with themselves. And I know we talk about examples like this, but this is such a good one where players, all you need is a right opportunity, a fresh start, more ice time, you're getting, uh, getting put in the right position, like you said, on the power play, on the first line. It's not a guarantee, but give them a shot, see what they can do and in the right environment. They're going to thrive. And that's what Tuck has done the last couple of years. And the city loves him. He would be a captain. He's like, what is he, 6'5", six, 6'6"? Six, six? Like, he's just a big boy that likes if to If Tage score. Thompson wasn't there, if right. Tage wasn't there, this guy's getting a C. But because Tage Thompson is there, and I want everyone to call me and text me and tweet me when Tage Thompson Tage Thompson is awarded the C this offseason and say, you're right. You're right, John. You called it a year ago. So anyways, yes, back to Tuck. Yeah, that, ahead, that's Tim, it. I, I cut you off. No, I was wrapping up. It's it's a good it's a good point. And Eichel's been pretty good too. And this is not really a knock on him. It's more just in my eyes. It's it's more of, of how well Tuck's playing. And Eichel has had still some health injuries. He's been very good, but he hasn't been that number two overall franchise player that they thought they were getting. So far, so far, could happen. And do you think that's a case of the injury just maybe really did affect him long term? Because before the injury, he was every bit as good as Austin Matthews. There was a sweepstakes. Who are we going to take, Eichel or Matthews? Who was the better player? And that was up in the air for a long time. Now I think Austin Matthews has far exceeded him. Jack Eichel has dropped down into that tier two of players. I don't think he's a superstar anymore by any means. Do you think the injury has a lot to do with that? Or maybe he just didn't advance in his his skills. You know, he hit that ceiling and there was nowhere else to go. Well, I, I think it's a little bit of everything. You also have to remember that that surgery he did was such an unknown where they were there were basically no examples of NHL players, right, coming back from that. And so you kind of you were making some really educated guesses from the doctors on what this recovery would look like. And he's been healthy, he's been playing well. So that's still a long-term effect, sort of playing themselves out. But I I think he gets back to being Okay, yes or no, gut answer. Is he ever a 100-point player again? No. No, he hasn't been yet, but never a 100-point no, guy. he's never been, never will be. No, I think he's a, I think he's a terrific player. The 100-point plateau is, that's a tough one to crack. It's the creme de la creme, Tim. And I, right. Doesn't mean he doesn't hit 85-90, you know? I don't think he'll ever get the 100-point plateau. I, I really don't. So it was a good trade. It was a trade that had to be made. He was a you know, a very coveted player when he, before the surgery, I think he was 22, I want to say. So he was still very young, still a really good player. But what makes this trade a slam dunk for the Buffalo Sabres is Tuck is signed for three more years at 4.75. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know it was that low. That's incredible. I, I thought it was around the six range. It's 4.75. This guy could put up a hundred points in a year. He's got 64 this year in 58 games. This is the guy who's going to be scratching that 100-point plateau. So it's it was an amazing stroke, this trade. I liked Alex Tuck. I thought he was one of their best players when they had those playoff runs. He he stood out to me, his size, his speed, his hands. It all worked for me. And now it's just things are just working for him with the Buffalo Sabres. It's fun to watch. It's fun to watch this team figure it out. From when I played there, it was just a train wreck. The last three or four years has just been up and down. They've been throwing money at everything. They've done the smart thing, and they are just reaping the benefits of just a a true, I don't want to say rebuild because they've been rebuilding air quotes for a long time, but they're just doing it the right way now. They're investing in the right positions. They're bringing guys in. It's just, gosh, he's he's good. He's a very good player. And like I said, it doesn't demean Jack Eichel in any sense of the word, but when you look at a franchise altering trade which was supposed to be for the vegas golden knights everybody says the buffalo sabers got fleeced at the time of the trade like oh they only got a first round or it's going to be you know end of the first round and they only got alex tuck and peyton krebs by the way peyton krebs is a pretty serviceable third line guy right now playing pretty good hockey sabers win this trade all day they're getting an a plus right now when, when you look at it two years post trade so Good for the Sabres. And I, I still give the Vegas Golden Knights a C. They get Jack Eichel. He's, you know, first line center. He's the guy you build your team around. But 
what? Well, <laughs> How good does this trade look for the Sabres? There's also the case to be made that you don't get Tage Thompson breakout if Eichel's still on the team because he's not getting those opportunities. And he's also, there's a mental aspect of it. And there's, there's many examples. The most I can think of um, Nathan McKinnon didn't break out until they traded Matt Duchesne. And there are other examples like that where it's like, okay, you're the one C it's your team. And that, that, that invokes something in them to, to go and take that spot. And so if Eichel's still the expected, the expected, you know, point per game franchise guy, you don't maybe, maybe see that same breakout from Tage. Then likewise with Tuck. With the Vegas Golden Knights, he was buried behind Pacioretty, Marcia Stowe, Riley Smith, um, Stevenson. He was buried behind a lot of good forwards. Dadanov, I think, was there. He he wasn't getting first or second line minutes. He was on the third line when he was with the Knights. So now he's on the first line. He's getting 18 minutes a game. He's flying. He's playing great. So it kind of goes both ways where Tage Thompson gets the chance to be the guy. And Alex Tuck gets out of the shadow of a lot of players. So don't look now. I know they're not going to do anything this year. They're not going to make the playoffs this year because they didn't make any moves at the deadline other than bringing in Jordan Greenway. Dylan Cousins seemed very disappointed by that fact. (laughs) This is the team in the Eastern Conference. There's three teams you have to watch for. Ottawa, Detroit, Buffalo. Out of those three teams, I like Buffalo the best, Tim. They have a ton of cap space. They don't have any long-term contracts that are really egregious. And they have strength where you want strength. They got good centermen. Their defense is looking really, really good. And it should when you have the first overall draft pick and you use it on defensemen two out of three years with uh, Rasmus Dahlin and Owen Power. So it should look pretty good if, if you have that luxury. But when you got Thompson, you got Dylan Cousins, you got Tuck, Skinner's looking like that player like he was in Carolina. Jack Quinn's nothing to you know sniff at. Casey Middlestad. I like the Jordan Greenway ad. Peyton Krebs is a good player. You get rid of Kyle Poso. You get rid of the Gergitson contract. You have even more money. Poof. Not bad. Go out and maybe get a goalie. I I like Craig Anderson. Maybe get someone younger. I like Lukanen. Maybe get someone more experienced. But all in all, the Sabres are looking pretty good. And it all started. It all started with that Jack Eichel trade. That was the impetus of this turnaround in my eyes and the Ryan O'Reilly trade, I guess <laughs> both of those nailed both of them, by the way, a plus a plus is on both of those trades. What are you saying, Tim? You're chomping at the bit. <laughs> no, you're, it's, actually, no. it's actually champing at the bit. I've been saying it wrong for my whole life. I don't think it's it is champing at the bit. It's champing at the bit. Okay. I'll, I'll have to take your you word say? for that. Um, well, you mentioned auto. I want to bring up the next surprising stat here. And this one is probably not as surprising to you as it was to me. But I saw this tweet go out that Alex DeBrinkett has four, four even strength goals in 2023. That's across 30 games. Now, he's got 21 goals on the year. I don't have it in front of me how many of those are even strength. But that's not a bad season. He's going to be on pace for uh, about 69, 70 points, 25 goals at the end of the year. So that's a solid season for Debrinket. But this is not at all what we predicted. New new start, at least what I predicted, in a, in a contract year. You called it. Anything you want to say on the stat here? Did that surprise you at all? No. No, it's it's the Patrick Kane effect. I, I said it, and it makes perfect sense that he doesn't have five-on-five five goals because he cannot generate offense. He's a very good player. He can score goals if he's put in the right situation and he gets the puck in the right spot. He is fast. He is shifty. He cannot generate offense very well on his own. That's no slight to him. Not a lot of people can. He needs a guy on his line who can go out there and feed him the puck in the right spot. And then he's a finisher. There's finishers and there's dishers. Alex DeBrinkett is a finisher. Shane Pinto, Claude Giroux. Eh. Drew used to be an elite passer. Maybe he can't keep up that much anymore. He's not a Patrick King. I'll say that. I, I, I don't want to gloat. I don't want to gloat. But he, he's not. He's not getting forty goals like you predicted. There's no way. No. There's no. Maybe he gets twenty five. Maybe he gets thirty. Great. He's minus twenty five. And he's got twenty one goals. Eh, let's say seven or eight of them are even strength. It's not a good year. Going into a contract year. So what's his number, Tim? You're Alex Dabrinkit. Probably turned down a big deal from Ottawa when they traded for you. Now you have a down year. You're making 6.4. You're 
26, you're going to be a UFA. What, what do you sign for? If, if you're a team trying to, oh, he's an RFA, so Ottawa still owns his rights. What, what does he get from Ottawa? Well, we talked about this a few weeks ago, and I think the number, I think what I projected then was that he takes a one or two year deal as a prove it deal because he's not going to want to sign his long term ticket when he's not having his best season and he knows it. So, does he go somewhere else, try to align himself with like maybe you do a one year deal for like four million to play in Edmonton with McDavid and then you go, you go score 40, 50 goals and then you go and get your big number, something like that. I can't imagine he was going to get the money he wants, but who knows? What do you think? Well, and then what do you do if you're the Ottawa? It's it's a tricky thing because if you're the Ottawa Senators, are you investing in this guy for your long-term plans? You have Stutzel, you have Kachuk, you have Batherson, you have Matthew Joseph, you got Shabbat, you got Chitrin, you got Artem Zub, you have guys, you got Joshua Norris, like that's your core moving forward. You have to make a decision pretty quick if this is your guy because are you, are you going to invest – if it's a short-term deal, it'll be a smaller number. If it's a long-term deal, it'll be a bigger number. But I think he stays around the $7 million range for two years. I think that's that'd be a good number for both player and team. And then you just reevaluate in two years to see where he's at. Because maybe this isn't a good fit for a Dabrinka. They but, did say um, at the deadline that they had no interest in trading him. He was part of their future. But at least all that could mean was that they're going to figure it out in the at the offseason and not at the deadline. They weren't rushing to get rid of them. So who knows how that shakes out? Yeah. The next, the next stat here I want to talk to you about, and this is another one that I think that you, I want to give you credit. You called this one. Jonathan Quick is 4-0 since he joined the Golden Knights. There's a conversation happening whether he's getting the net in the playoffs. Is that already done in your mind? Or would you still think you'd give it to Logan Thompson? Oh, you better believe. I, I said right away he will be game one starter for the Vegas Golden Knights in the playoffs. Why why would you not want him starting in the playoffs? The guy single-handedly, I said it last week, won the Kings the Cup in 2012. Single-handedly. Yeah. Okay, what did Logan Thompson win in 2012? Nothing. 11 years He was ago. like wiping his diaper. I know. But you, you cannot put a price on experience. The guy's got the big game mentality. He's unflappable. I want that guy between the pipes in game one. He'll be the starter. He's playing great. 4-0. Vegas loves him. He loves being there. It's a win-win. If he falters, you got Logan Thompson. Maybe it works the other way. Quick could be good coming in as a backup, as a, a second, you know, tier goaltender. But if I'm Logan Thompson, do I got <laughs> I got him looking over my shoulder every single time a goal scores? I'm looking at the bench. Yeah, maybe he doesn't perform his best that way. If quick falters, you put Logan Thompson in, he's got the net. That's it. Bingo, bingo, bongo. That's what I would do. If I'm Bruce Cassidy, I'm playing Jonathan Quick first game. I I, I don't see any other option. Well, there obviously is another option, Logan Thompson, very good goaltender. But with his resume, Tim, how can you not play him? I don't. You have the luxury in the first round of playing a, a dud. So he'll have a you know a little room for air there if they lose the first game. So be it. They'll have enough. The first round is going to be a cakewalk for them. Okay, but I, let's jump ahead good. to my to another stat. Eight of the top fourteen teams in the NHL right now are from the Western Conference. Does this mean anything to you? Eight of the top fourteen are from the Western Conference. Yep. What's fourteen minus eight? Six. Oh, so those six teams are all better than the other eight. Okay, doesn't mean anything. No, who cares? The six teams in the East are all better than every team in the West, in my eyes. Maybe not Carolina now because of their in injury problems. If Carolina is healthy, which I know it's a huge caveat, but his Fetchnikov is there. You're telling me you would not take any of those six, maybe the Rangers right now. I don't think they've found their stride just yet. You wouldn't take Carolina, New Jersey, Boston, Toronto, Tampa Bay over any team in the West right now. No, I would. Yeah, I would. There. That number, so what are we talking about here? Well, I just, I call it out because <laughs> I see these stats come across my, my timeline all the time. And, and you want to dump on how bad the West is and specifically the Pacific. And as I'm looking at it now, it's like, okay, that number is true, but four out of the top five are in the East and six out of the top nine are in the East. And so you can, you can kind of, it's, it's a stats thing. You can, you can 
pigeonhole it however you want to make your argument. The, the, it's still the best teams in the East. I think I agree with that. You're right. And someone has to win the game. Someone has to get two points every game. So when Seattle plays Nashville, someone has to get those points. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. they don't just go away. So when two bad teams play and they're not bad, but they're just not as good as a team in the East, like the people get points. It is what it is. It says a lot when Vancouver can go five wins after trading a bunch of players and having massive amounts of turmoil. It's because they're playing bad teams in the West. Like it, they haven't just found their game, but if they can rattle off wins and beat the Dallas stars, Anaheim, Nashville, it, you know, actually they did beat Toronto. Woof. But it's, I don't know. No, it doesn't change anything. I don't think it changed, change anything for anybody. There's a couple good teams in the West. I get that. But the majority of power lies in the East. We saw it with the trade deadline. It made it even more obvious. Every team in the East got stronger. The teams in the West made tertiary moves on the outside. They didn't go all in for whatever reason. Maybe the GMs saw that the power was in the East and why trade a first or second or a prospect when you knew you're going to lose. So, yeah, that's a it's a great stat, though, Tim. It's it's very nice. Nice <laughs> okay. Yeah, the last one. Right, here one is... thing I wanted to touch on. I wanted to touch on this one. Okay. What are your thoughts on this? Usually, like usually when a team gets a new coach, that team is struggling. That team has missed the playoffs. That team is underperforming. That team just isn't working out. So that merits a coaching change. Usually coach, GM, people are fired. It's very rare when a team gets a new coach in the offseason and they're super duper successful. Yes, there's a bump. Maybe they slide into the playoffs. There's a, a couple more wins here and there. Systematically, they change how they play the game. Whatever. The first place team in the East, the first place team in the West, both have new coaches. You got Bruce Cassidy for the Vegas Golden Knights, and you got Jim Montgomery for the Boston Bruins. I don't think this has ever happened. Where you, Two teams have gotten two new coaches. Both teams are in first place. They're probably going to end the season that way. Does this strike you as strange? The Bruins were a good team last year. So were the Vegas Golden Knights. I saw this. I think I'm the only one talking about this. I think it's really, really indicative of just how good these coaches are. Bruce Cassidy fell out of favor with the Bruins for some reason. There was some turmoil there. Players didn't really agree with some of his decisions. Montgomery, a lot of unknowns of how he left the Dallas Stars. We'll just leave it at that. I don't know what happened. He just got fired all of a sudden in the middle of the night. No one knows why. These are good coaches. They're pushing all the right buttons right now for the Bruins and the Knights. Question, did you expect this? I think most people did. And two, who gets the Jack Adams, Tim? I didn't expect it. And I guess I mean, you could accuse me of being biased, but to me, it's it's Montgomery. Just the way that the way he's gotten the best out of every single player on his roster. Like no one has really struggled. No one has been, even the players that were like on the, the block, like DeBrusque, Felino, Frederick, Grizzly, all those guys have been playing really good hockey all season long. Everyone's doing their, their role. Everyone's playing exactly how you'd want them to play. And I know Vegas could make similar arguments too, but to me, it's, it's, it's Montgomery. Yeah, I agree. I think he's done a masterful job. The Bruins are going to sweep the awards <laughs> come postseason awards. It's going to be just an onslaught. Well, they won't win MVP because you're going to give it to Connor McDavid. Anyways, moving on. Jacob Chitrin. This thing caught me off guard. I did not. <laughs> okay. What is Jacob Chitrin doing, Tim? And why is it so weird? Yeah, he was asked about his diet and he said, quote, I'm also eating raw liver, raw beef heart doing all this crazy stuff. The taste is awful, but your body almost craves it when you eat it consistently because it's just so nutrient dense. So that's Jacob Chicken talking about just eating raw animal parts because of their nutritional value. And part of me, I get it. Like the whole liver King thing from last year. And like, there are a lot of nutritional benefits to that, but I like that the, the he's gotten a lot of pushback from people on social media, just kind of making a meme out of this. And then Jeff Villette, who is a uh, Ontario-based writer and hockey analyst, had a nice tweet that I, I think is he's making a good point here. And he says, Chitron hasn't played a 70-game season yet. Meanwhile, the NHL's all-time Ironman, Phil Kessel, is a chubby dude who loves cookies, 
is associated with hot dogs. And once he said he'd quit hockey if he couldn't have Coca-Cola in the dressing room. Habits are good, but min-maxing isn't everything. What are your thoughts on all this? What does min-maxing mean? Um, minimum maximizing. Just trying to like watch all your macros and doing the absolute best for everything you can, as opposed to just like following a few simple rules and doing what you love and performing when it counts, you know? Yeah, I, I get what Chitron's trying to do, but it, it, yeah, at, at some point you have to enjoy what you're doing, right? Like, there are other ways to go about this and still enjoy what you're doing. I, I, I'm i on the Phil Kessel side where it's, it, is it worth it? Is it, is it really worth it to, to eke out maybe, like, what do you, you get a, you can lift five more pounds, you recover a little bit faster. I don't know. I, I don't agree with it. I think you still have to have fun playing hockey. It is a game. I think when you turn it into a job like this, it affects you more on the ice where it doesn't become fun anymore. You're like a robot. You're eating raw meat for Pete's sake. You're, you're eating like raw liver. It's just bizarre to me. That's why we have stoves. That's why we <laughs> cook stuff. Like we, people invented fire for this very thing. I don't know, but I, I was on the other end of the spectrum where before a game I would have burger and fries. Cause I knew I was going to burn it off. Maybe I could have eaten something healthier and, had a little more energy, but eh, at the end of the day, you got to enjoy yourself. You got to live your life. You know what I mean, Tim? But you, And this is not a slight to you. I could see you doing this because you're always trying to find little things, diets and little experiments to try to make yourself better. I'm more of an in the moment type of guy where it's like, okay, right now I'm hungry. What can make me feel good and a good meal? And yeah, I don't know. I, I, I I'm okay with Chitron doing this. I don't want everybody to jump on the bandwagon because I don't think it makes that much of a difference. The guy's an elite defenseman, world-class, and maybe it gives him a little bump. I don't know. It's like the, it's like after games, like Johnny Taves would do this. Duncan Keith would do this. Uh, lots of guys throughout my career would do it. They would electrocute their legs, like put the anodes on their legs to stimulate the recovery. I'm just like, you guys, like, come on, you're missing it. Like, you're missing it. You're not getting it. We are the point zero zero one of hockey players, and you're ruining it. You're ruining the experience. In my eyes, after the game, you get on the plane, have a Guinness, have two Guinnesses, play some cards, and enjoy yourself. You know what I mean? Take it all in rather than I got to get this. I got to watch video. I got to go and scout the next game. I got to make sure I get my eight and a half hours sleep. I got to do this, this, and this, and this. I get it. Maybe they, you know, they're obviously better than I am. But in my eyes, I was like, I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to have some beers. I'm going to stay awake this whole stinking flight. I'm going to be tired tomorrow. I don't care. We don't play. I'm going to get a little buzz on and it's going to be fine because I'm going to get bag skated and I'll be fine. But I think that way of thinking is completely gone in today's era of hockey. It's turned into a job. It's turned into a money-making factory. From the moment you're actually like eight or nine, if you want to make the NHL, it's not a game anymore. There's no fun involved. It's strictly a job. You have to do X, Y, and Z in order to get to that point. And if you don't, you won't. And that's, that's the way the players look at it. And I think it's sad because I loved it. I loved playing hockey. I loved going to new cities. I loved enjoying everything about it. Rookie dinner. You better believe I'm getting a $5,000 bottle of wine and a Wagyu steak. And I'm going to eat as many chicken wings as I can. When we go to Buffalo, I'm eating 15 hot dogs. When we go to Montreal, I'm like, you know what I mean? Jumbo jumps on the plane. He's pouring Guinness to everybody. I'm in, I'm enjoying all of it, all of it. I'm watching Marion Gabrick take ten, fifteen thousand dollars out of his Gucci bag because we're playing poker and he's just getting fleeced, but he has endless amounts of money. I wouldn't have experienced any of that if I was sleeping, getting ready for the next game. Maybe I would have played another year. Who knows? But I had a hell of a time playing. And I think players miss that where they're going to end their career and they're going to look in the mirror and they go, oh man, look at all the points I got. I ate raw liver for 12 years. I ate raw liver for 12 years. Was it worth it? I'm 38. I've had no fun for the last 15 years for three quarters of the year. And even in the off season, I can't let go because my brain is programmed to not have fun. Something wrong here. 
It's just, it's, it's, there's something wrong. You have a dream, you achieve it. You should celebrate, not eat raw liver. Jacob. Did you ever have a moment where you were like, like, like an off season, you know, like, you know what, this year I'm going to, I'm going to eat more chicken and, and broccoli and less burgers. And like, do you ever try, do you ever feel different or do you just do what you want all the time? I never once did that. Never once. And maybe part of it was financially because I'm like, I'm not going because they would always offer nutritionists and you could get the meals. Deli- a lot of guys got the food delivered to their house. So it made a dummy proof where you pay somebody like 20 grand and you just get food delivered to your door. Like Max, I like, don't Max did that. A lot of the young guys did that because they didn't know how to cook. And it just was like dummy proof. And I'm like, I ain't doing that. Well, I can order a pizza. It cost me $25, you know, like, no, thanks. And I did the same thing on the road. Guys would go out in the fancy restaurants and make sure they're getting, you know, a certain amount of protein and carbs and this and that. I'd go to the Chili's with Brian Bickle and we play words with friends. It was just, it just wasn't in my makeup. So maybe that that's just a case of me not being motivated, but I just didn't have time for that. You know me. I don't have time for a lot of things. So can you can you picture me like honestly digging into my like counting my calories and stuff? I remember I got blood work done in Arizona and they're like, you need to have this many calories a day and you need to do this and that and drink this much water. And I looked at the nutritionist. I'm like, I ain't doing that. Well, especially no, since I'll eat until I'm full. <laughs> like you were in the NHL for like seven, eight years at that point. You're like, I think I know I I, I can make this work for myself. I know what to do. Yeah. And every team would offer it and I would just say no thanks, but I was curious and she was like, all right, well, let's do blood work and we'll get you a diet and we'll get it all figured out. And I had to eat somewhere close to 6,000 calories a day because I was 270 pounds. I was getting bag skated daily. And if you've ever eaten to 6,000 is a lot. So I think it was like five, seven, five, zero or something. And I'm like, I ain't doing that. I eat so I would lose weight. It's a lot. You have to eat consistently through the day. And so I just said, no. It's just, it's too much. You got to have fun with your life. If there's, what's the point? So this is, this goes for everything. What's the point if it's not like enjoyable? This actually ties in well with uh, what Kobe Armstrong was saying it was less about, you know, the nutrition and more about how kids are preparing on the ice. But he talks about a problem that's happening that I think most people are aware of with youth hockey, where they just play year round. It's all about the camps. It's all about the skill. He's got a great quote here that I'm going to read. He said, The game we are seeing now is skill straight ahead and speed, speed, speed. I don't think kids are nurtured with different skill sets. I think they shove them in a box now and you have to be like everyone else. If you're on a team and you don't toe drag through everybody and score a goal, people think you're not as good as the kids that can. And that's not right. I think there's ways you can appreciate what everyone does. Some kids are difficult are different and we need to nurture those different skills within them to create different kinds of hockey players to make up a hockey team. And he's getting a lot of praise for this. And I think he hit the nail right in the head where everyone's trying to be a toe dragon, Connor Bedard type, but they don't have the skill for that. And so a lot of kids, you know, won't progress forward. They won't step forward because they don't, they're not good enough to do it that way. And they don't want to learn the other aspects of the game. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, I think, I think it falls on the parents and the coaches, but mostly the parents. I think a lot of it comes with lifestyle too, where you, you don't make hockey the number one end all be all. (laughs) because I've ran across many players who I've played with who didn't make the NHL, didn't make the AHL and they have depressed, you know, they, they have a long, hard time to kind of get back to being normal. Yeah. Colby's nails it. I think most players who have played in the last 20 years, see that it's super skilled. That's where the goals are up, but you're, you're sacrificing all that skill. You're losing a, a crucial type of player, you know what I mean? And, and a player that is valuable. And what I mean is you remember what was successful in the eighties and the early nineties, high and hard off the glass. If you're a defenseman, that's how I was taught to play. If there's not a first pass, that's obvious. You go high and hard and you get it out of your zone. You live to play another day. Defensemen are taught that way anymore. You have your first option D to D. You have the second option, the winger, you have the third option, your centerman. The fourth option is to skate it. I get that. You're super, super skilled. But sometimes you got to just live to play another day. And and players don't realize that. And playing defense, I used to can open or hit somebody. I'm I'm sounding like a dinosaur right now. But gone are the days of just dumping and chasing, throwing your shoulder into somebody, going and get the puck, mucking it out, and throwing it in front of the net and scoring a goal. That's why Zach Hyman is so effective. These players who do the small things, the little things, are so very effective because they don't get taught anymore. You go to any rink around the country, I see it here in Traverse City, 
they're working on hands, they're working on toe drags, they're working on like saucer passes, they're working on backhand to forehand. It's very rare you see a practice just about fundamentals. How do you angle somebody out? How do you forecheck and hit somebody in the corner? Like those those things. So I don't know. I get what Colby's saying. I, I think it's broader than that. In the summer, you put the bag away, you play baseball, you play the cross, you don't play hockey, but parents won't change. Parents, you know, the kids love the sport. They want to drive them. They're going to put all the money into it. My dad wasn't going to do that. We're busy in the summer. He's got to work. He's not going to drive me around for 12 months of the year to hockey stuff, but I don't know. Good on Colby. I think it's good. I like that guy. Why don't we have him on the show? We should. He seems really funny. Well, Tim, hey, I'll ask you this. How do you fix it then? If this is the issue and everybody's agreeing with Colby Armstrong, how do you fix it? You tell well, me. Yeah, I think you, you said it already. It's just the parents and the coaches. Because the 12-year-olds that are watching McDavid every night aren't going to know any better. They're not going to want to learn how to block shots or angle guys out or, or do all these little things unless they're told to and unless they're shown examples. So I think part of it should be the the players and the coaches and, and the, sorry, the parents and the coaches at every level and instilling those things. And maybe more NHL players could speak up about that sort of thing. And, and Kobe Armstrong's doing a good job of it. But you need, you know, uh, the current players leading the charge in that discussion. I agree. I don't think it'll ever change. I think it's down this path you know what will change it the only thing that could change it is if one team or one area or one coach or somebody focuses is on the fundamentals i'm talking a defenseman who's a stay-at-home defenseman who just plays physical makes a good first pass and isn't focused on offense i'm talking forwards who can get in on the four check hit somebody be the first guy back skating back through the middle of the ice not trying to toe drag not trying to be connor bedard because there's there's only one connor bedard if a coach does that and is successful, it's a copycat league. People will try to develop those types of players again, but coaches are copycat coaches. They want to have the sexy players. They want to have the power play. That's number one in the league. They want to have goals, goals, goals. They think that's what's great. There's not many old school coaches that are coming up through the AHL, OHL, Q ranks. They're all offensively gifted guys like a Sean McGay, big Bay for the LA Rams. They're all these like analytical type people who are focusing on the offense rather than, you know what? Let's focus on the defense. Let's let's play, you know, this type of defense. So I want four stay at home defensemen. We're just I want four Jakob Slavins. And I'll win a Stanley Cup. I don't I don't I don't see it changing. I think the whole fabric of hockey has changed. And it'll never go back, Tim. Not that it's a bad thing. All right, what are we doing next? Some quick hits in maybe a good news, bad news situation. The good news for the Leafs is that Ryan O'Reilly, after breaking his thumb or finger last week, will return for the playoffs, which is big. That's huge for them. But some bad news. Andrei Svechnikov is done for the season with a torn ACL. He will not play until next year. Just a devastating loss for the Canes. What's your reaction to this? We we both had the same reaction last night. Tim and I text all the time. (laughs) We talk all the time. I was actually thinking about it. This morning, I was like, who do I talk to the most in my life? I'm like, well, my wife and then Tim. Um, It's almost like this is what you get, Carolina. You had all this money because of the Max Max Pacioretty contract. You got that LTIR money to spend. Everybody was saying, go out and get a forward. And you go out and you get Jesse Polviari. Well, now he's your first sign left wing. How do you like them apples? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just like <laughs> you, you had your chance. You had all this money and you didn't spend it. Now you're sitting there holding the big wad of cash and your best goal scorer is out. And you're not a Stanley Cup contender anymore. So I'm sorry, friend of the show, Seth Jarvis, Brent Burns, all these guys. You should have did something. This is what you get. You're in the juggernaut Eastern Conference. Yes, you'll probably win the first round because you have a very deep lineup. You're not going to compete with Jersey. You're not going to compete with Boston, Tampa, Toronto. Now you are a rung below. It's it's really too bad because this was a fun team. I, I wanted to see what they learned from last year. You know what I mean? What Aho learned. Kaki and Emmy, Tara Vinan, Seth Jarvis, Martin Nikas. They got Jordan Stahl. They have a good team, Tim, but they need Svechnikov. Nechaz. Nechaz? Nechaz. Nechaz. That's how Jack Edwards Is he Mexican? I don't know. I don't think so. Got to have some Hispanic in them. Nachos. Because it sounds like nachos. When I was a kid, one of my favorite go-to snacks was 7-Eleven nachos. 
and I would just dump cheese all over it and get a Slurpee. Oh, baby. Me and Ray Winnington. And we go to his house and we play video games. Just building an NHL body, you know? Oh, well, I was only like 16, 15 years old at that time. Most people were getting ready for the draft. I was down in nachos and playing NHL. What would that have been? 99 on PlayStation 2? Building a franchise? You're playing old. it through in a month? I am old. You're just noticing this? All right. What else are we talking about? Especially yeah, Cobb's done. Is is Carolina done, Tim? Do you, did they have any hope? I mean, there's some, but no. We talked about it the other day, even before the injury news came out, that we think the Devils are going to surpass them in the standings in the regular season. And I think I'd pick the Devils if I was. I mean, I would have already, but I definitely would now pick them over Carolina in a playoff series. So it's their division now, I think. It's really too bad. I like the Gosses Bear pickup. They, they should have gotten a forward. I don't know why they didn't. I I would like to talk to Rod Brindamore. Who's their GM? Who's the GM in Carolina? Off the top of my head, I don't know. I don't know up. either. I'd like to talk to him and figure out why they didn't pull that trigger. Don they must have had an option. I was going to say Waddell. Yeah. I'm sure they had an option. You know, they, they must have had their fingers in some negotiations. Interesting. Let's try to get him on the show once they uh, lose in the first round. That'll be good. Yeah, I'm sure he'd love to. Last thing here, uh, the NHL announced that the playoffs will start Monday, April 17th, and then the draft lottery will be Monday, May 8th, and then so forth throughout the summer with the the draft and the free agency start on July 1st, as usual. So back to our regular rotation here, just the latest news from Bettman's uh, press conference this morning. Nice. Why do you got to bring him up? <laughs> he's all over. He's all over the headlines now. A couple other things that I thought you'd like you'd enjoy. He said they explored the um, the kicking motion, decided that there aren't any changes yet, but that did come up in discussion because there's some confusion there. Came up with the Islanders game last week and that there's nothing wrong with the playoff format and they don't have any plans to change it. So what kicking motion are you talking about? Uh, just kicking motion in general when there's a goal and there's there's not a clear line and when, when it's a distinct kicking motion, when it's not. Sometimes people feel like it shouldn't be a goal and it is and vice versa. And so it was one of the things that got brought up at their meetings, but he decided that there were no changes needed, required. You never mentioned um, about the salary cap increase. What is it? Well, they, they're going to do the $1 million, but they're open to negotiating to raising the cap. The projection right now is an $83.5 million cap next season, rising to approximately 88 the year after. But they still got that escrow balance from the lockout, $100 million bucks. <laughs> And doesn't raising the cap nobody nobody listens to me. <laughs> doesn't raising the cap hurt the escrow even more? Yeah, nobody listens. Everybody just think it's just more money, more money, more money. So it'll be fine. They said it's not going to be fine. Like this, <laughs> they're not going to pay it off even next year. It's still a hundred million dollars. It's hard to pay off a hundred million dollars, you guys. Ugh, that stinks. But anyways, good for Gary Bettman. Always bringing the bad news. He's such. A terrible human being. <laughs> yeah, we actually got a lot of comments about your rants on him last episode. Go back and listen if you haven't listened yet. What do people say? Are they mad at me? No, they love it. They they want it. They want us to push that more. And I don't know if we will, but um, they loved it. They want to hear more of it. What would be a boxing match that I could have with Gary Bettman that would be fair? I'm um, on my knees. You have to give him some weapons. I think. Some melee weapons, some sharp, sharp objects. I've said this to my kids for years. I could take down a bear, a black bear, not a grizzly, a black bear with this strong stick that has a hook on the end of it that's sharpened. Yeah, maybe. I think it depends. I think you could take a bear without a weapon if if it was like attacking your kids and that dad adrenaline just came through, you know, but like... If that bear wanted to fight, Tim, people lift cars, man, built on its body. You got it pregnant moms lifting, lifting cars. You see those headlines? The car's not biting your face and clawing at you. Yeah, the bear would run away from you anyway, a black bear. You know what you do when you're getting attacked by a pit bull? What? You stick out the eyes. Oh, <laughs> what about um dogs? You said you were thinking about getting a dog. Any news on that? Yeah, I was on. A, I went for a bike ride. Did I talk to you about this? Is that why you're bringing it up? No, no, no. You brought it up like months ago that you were exploring it. But 
Yeah, we're actually, uh, I went on a bike ride with the kids the other day. It was a nice day. We went for a long bike ride. I saw somebody who had a Pyrenees and I really liked it. So the only thing with the Pyrenees is that they have an eight mile radius where they roam. So I would have to fence in my 30 acre lot because the Pyrenees, they'll go and they'll patrol and they'll patrol your whole property to make sure it's safe and sound. My buddy has three of these dogs, similar type dogs, and he patrols his property because he has horses, he has cattle, he has chickens, and I think he has goats. And so he bought these three dogs and he'll just find bones around his property that the dogs have killed a skunk, killed a raccoon, have eaten it and digested it. Even coyotes and foxes. And they don't just like protect, like they'll, they'll smell them and then go look for them if they're on their property. Yeah. Well, they track them. Yeah. It's fantastic. So I I like the Pyrenees. So I think what I'm going to do is get one of those. That's the plan now. Fence off three parts of my land, and then I'll get an electric collar along the road, so we can't go along the road. Yeah, that's that's, but that's a lot of fencing. It is. There's probably other ways to show them the boundaries, but just so you know, Levi, my dog, is already locked in as the official dog of the show. That's locked in. That won't change. That's fine. I don't care. I, I don't need that status. Like, you think they're like, it's not about me. Oh, it's no. about him. Yeah, his feelings would be hurt. So. Anyway, you would think I'm going to harm. I'm like harming this dog with how I'm going to treat it. I'm going to treat it like an animal. It's going to sleep outside. No, I'm going to feed it outside. It's not allowed inside. I'll, I'll open up the garage in the winter. The garage will have heated in floor heat. So it'll be warm. It's not going to be a warm and fuzzy. Let's cuddle up by the fire, jump on the bed, sleep with us type of dog. This with is an seven daughters. Dog. You don't think that's going to happen with one father. I do think it's going to happen. I'm the boss of that house. So no, this dog, not. it's at so, best. You're number two. So per- no, no, no. My house. <laughs> it's sole purpose is to protect the kids when they're outside because we have bears, we have coyotes there. We had a coyote this year, got real, real aggressive. Usually they see you and they just run away. This is why I thought it was rabid. It stood its ground. It just stood there. And to the point where I'm like starting to walk towards it and it's not moving. I'm like, all right, let's get out of here. This guy, there's something wrong with this coyote. It was probably, so a I, I want that, uh, but it was the middle of the day. Those are nocturnal animals. I wanted it to run at me. My dream, a coyote runs at me and I break its jaw, grab the bottom jaw and I snap it off. Ugh. alpha, and then hold it up and then drape it over my head. Make a hat. And scream at Maybe my kids. Yeah. This is what you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What are we talking about here? I don't know. Uh, I think but we're yes, going to get a dog. We're done. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you on Friday. Well, probably, Tim, we're going to have to do this tomorrow because you're going on a trip. Yeah, I got a little road trip. I have a business uh, conference in Atlanta on Tuesday through Thursday next week. And so I'm going to turn a road trip into it. So I'm going out from Charlotte to Wilmington on Friday, Wilmington, North Carolina on the water. And then I'm going to spend some time in Myrtle Beach, a day in Charleston, a day or two in Savannah, and then get up to Atlanta. So nice little road trip over the course of five or six days. Atlanta, that's fun. Good, good food in Atlanta. I heard they're a good spot for a hockey team. Check it out. Do some stuff. <laughs> Ask around, see who likes hockey in Atlanta. Because apparently we're moving there, baby. We're doing it. Well, I'll talk to you tomorrow, Tim. I'll talk to everybody else on Friday. We're going to hold the episode. Hopefully, nothing big happens Thursday night. But anyways, thank you for your support, everybody. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 